the Jericho Network on Westwood One. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon here on Westwood One. Joining me on this episode from, or formerly from, Foreigner, it is the voice of a generation, the one, the only, Lou Graham, followed by Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon, and we finished the episode with Colin Bluntstone of The Zombies. But first, let us get to our co-host. It is John Humphrey from Seether. Good day, John. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Good, good. Now, you are going to be in my neck of the woods also here on uh, September 22nd in Clayton, New York. I'll definitely have to come out and check that out. But how is the Seether tour going these days it's going great man you know poison the parish we released last year and um you know anytime seether uh, puts out an album we are known for for touring and um anytime on a given cycle usually upwards of 18 months to two years so we just got back as a uh, main support for nickelback in europe we did a headline tour of australia and new zealand we went back to South Africa, where uh, Sean and Dale are from, where the band was founded, and did a show in Johannesburg, which was amazing. And then we're back in the States now for a headline run. I'm currently in Dallas, Texas. Wow, that's great. Now, And you've had the Lowry brothers, Clint and uh, Corey, join you at different parts on this tour. Just talk to me quickly about having those two guys uh, join you and going from a sort of three-piece to a four-piece for the the live presentation. Yeah, absolutely, man. The Lowry brothers, what can I say? They are incredibly talented. I mean, they, they truly are and, and great friends of ours. And uh, Clint was with us at the uh, launch of this tour last year. And then Seven Dust put out a new album uh, this last April. So we have Corey that joined us for the, the Nickelback Euro tour and has been with us and we'll finish out the tour with us. And they're both just incredible musicians, man. And yes, we are a four piece. We have done three piece off and on. Uh, but for Sean, who's, uh, you know, main rhythm guitar and, and lead vocalist for the band, having to do the lead parts and, and, and other things for the show can be a little stressful because we are well known for, we do not use tracks. We are a live band, old school, bad notes and all, uh, the music that you hear coming off the stage are the three or four guys that are on that stage. And Corey and Clint are both, you know, not only fantastic guitar players, but vocalists, background vocalists, harmonies. So they really, you know, really fill out the sound. So being a four-piece, a true four-piece again on stage just makes all the difference. Yeah, it really does. Now, the one thing I like, or, or the one thing I know about you is, of course, you're doing sort of the more modern rock with Seether and stuff like that. But you're a big, big, old-school classic rock fan from Kiss to Aerosmith to, I'm assuming, Cheap Trick, but also Foreigner. And so we've got Lou Graham on, and he will be with the band foreigner that is right on august 4th at the sturgis buffalo chip in sturgis south dakota it'll be lou graham dennis elliott al greenwood ian mcdonald rick willis mick jones and the current lineup of foreigner it is the first ever ticketed reunion concert featuring all the original members and the current members john what do you think first of all just of that concert and that concept of forget a reunion tour where this guy replaces that guy and no just the whole brotherhood is going to stand on stage. I mean, isn't that going to be epic? I mean, yes. I mean, that's truly the word. That is the definition of the word right there, that experience. It will be epic, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic, man. You know, the, the entire history, the, the lineage, the family, right there all together on stage. I, 
I really wish I could be there. That's sometimes the downfall of being a touring musician yourself is you miss some shows and, um, yeah, how epic that that's going to be. That's going to be wonderful for any diehard foreigner fan that will be able to attend. Yeah, absolutely. Now, were you a diehard foreigner fan? I mean, when you look back on your musical upbringing, did they take an important place in your sort of vinyl catalog or your, your shelf space at home? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I'm a, a child of the radio. I grew, grew up on the radio, first my parents and then and then myself and uh, foreigner is a soundtrack to my, my life, my childhood. Absolutely. So, uh, head games, foreigner four, double vision, you know, everything. Yes. sits snugly into my vinyl collection. I'm a huge foreigner fan. That's an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, for, for me, there was an album that came out in the nineties called Mr. Moonlight that has, um, a song called rain on it and uh, a whole bunch of others, white lie. And I spoke to Lou about that because that album sort of got ignored by fans, but it is one of the greatest Foreigner albums ever made. And it's just too bad that it came out in a period of time where fans were moving away from, you know, melodic rock and stuff like that. But uh, it's going to it's going to be great. Um, You know, uh, in terms of vocalists, how do you sort of rank Lou Graham? I mean, he really is sort of the voice of a generation, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 he's right up there for me with Steve Perry. Uh, I mean, just a vocalist that uh, the minute or the instance you hear his voice, it's recognizable and, um, and, and wonderful vocalist and just great music, man. Uh, I think Cold as Ice, being as a kid, was probably the first song I remember from Foreigner ever hearing. And um, yeah, man, amazing vocalist. Yeah, now before we get over to uh, the interview with Lou, which is my first interview with Lou since, I believe, 2004, so it's it's been a while between interviews, have you ever had a chance to play any Foreigner songs, either as a cover band or just practicing downstairs in the basement? I mean, you know, drum-wise, were they challenging? Is that something that you got into to sort of, you know, get your chops up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... uh... Being in the type band that I'm in and have been in the past, you know, being a, a, a drummer, you, you, you tend to, uh, you're a drummer for, for first and foremost for a student of songwriting, and you want to frame the song. And um, uh, foreigners, the drum parts, man, they really, they were signature parts, and they, they were a big part of the song structure, and they really set up the song. So, yeah, absolutely. I've spent many hours in a practice room, you know playing drums to hot blooded or, you know, urgent or, you you know, um, just working on those songs. And they had signature classic drum parts that were so important and essential to the songs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So before I head over to the interview with Lou Graham, let me just remind folks that the dead daisies featuring John Karabi, Marco Mendoza, Dean Castronova, David Lowey, and of course, Doug Aldrich will be on tour in North America with Hookers and Blow, no, the band. Uh, also including uh, Dizzy Reed from Guns N' Roses. The tour starts August 15th in Cleveland, Ohio at the Agora Ballroom. I will be at the shows in Ottawa at the Brass Monkey on August 25th and in Montreal at the Fufoon Electrique on August 26th. And uh, by the way, John, Fufoon Electrique, when translated into English, means electric ass. 
So what a great name for wow. <laughs> what a great name for a club, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, awesome. I mean, what a great name. Uh, they of course are on tour supporting their new album "Burn It Down," which was released in April. And uh, the dead, uh, no, sorry, not the dead daisies, but "Hookers and Blow," uh, like I said, features Guns and Roses' "Dizzy Reed," but also "Quiet Riots," uh, Alec. So uh, there you go, uh, folks. Enjoy that, and uh, here we go. Here is the one, the only singer extraordinaire. Lou Graham. We are speaking with singer Lou Graham. Lou, an absolute, absolute pleasure to talk to you. The last time we spoke, I think, goes back to 2004, maybe 2005. So it's it's long, long overdue. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? Been been quite a while. It was out at the uh, oh boy, it was the uh, c- c- casino somewhere down in in the states. Um, Let's talk about this reunion show that's coming up here in Sturgis at the Sturgis Buffalo Chip on August 4th. It is sort of the first ticketed event that's announcing that you and Al and Ian and Rick and Dennis will all be there. Um, talk to me about that event. Is this sort of a one-off or do you sort of hope to have a few more of these in the next couple of years? Well, um, last the end of last summer, we 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 played at a, we played a Jones Beach uh, uh, with with Mick and and his his current band, and and uh, the 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 original lineup uh, with with uh, Alan Ian and Dennis and everyone uh, was there, and we played about seven or eight songs, and uh, it went over real well. We had a lot of fun doing it, and afterwards we talked about doing some more shows like this and and uh i think earlier this year we we did we did one just outside of detroit in in a, in a casino that had a had a nice big uh proscenium stage theater type uh of situation and and uh we recorded that and and that was a lot of fun too so we we've decided that we're going to sporadically do a show here and a show there and and uh Sturgis is, is is one that that we were fortunate enough to to uh, to land, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know where there's any more coming up, but I know there's going to be some coming up. You know, not 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 uh, 30 shows. I'm talking about maybe another five or six shows. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Now, uh, the last time I spoke to Mick, which was back in March of this year, he he mentioned mm-hmm. the possibility of you and Lou, or sorry, him and you. Uh, looking back at some old song ideas and maybe somewhere down the line having an EP or, or gathering some material to put out for fans. What's your take on that? Is, is that something that you see happening in terms of new music with Mick? Uh, I, I mean, uh, I, I hope that it happens because I, I, I have those rough ideas to, to the songs that he's speaking of. And, and the song, song ideas that we have are... are, are uh, really 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 different and, and interesting you know and and uh i would i would uh like nothing more than to 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 complete those with him now are those songs that date back you know 30 40 50 years no, well, maybe not maybe not 50 but 30 40 years or are these things that you have worked out in the last five or ten uh i think they're they're from around uh 1999 2000 oh that's great that's great um so do you see, you know, yesterday I was talking to Dennis DeYoung and he was telling me that he's never seen himself as a solo artist. He's always seen himself as a team player, as Styx's singer. 
did you ever see yourself do you see yourself as a solo artist or would you prefer to be part of a team and and be foreigner singer well i I always thought that i wanted to be part of part of the team and and be foreigner singer but but there 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 came a point where you know i i was not not particularly happy with with the direction of the band and and uh i make i made no bones about it then or now and and uh it seemed to happen after waiting for a girl was a huge hit and then next i want to know what love is was a huge hit and it seemed like after that 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 the the impetus of the band and the most concentration and most effort was spent massaging the ballads and that I did not I didn't want to do that I didn't want to be known for that I didn't mind singing a ballad I thought it was great that waiting for a girl was a hit and I want to know what love is was a hit but after that it was important for me that that we turn our attention to the type of music that 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 we initially formed this band around, and that's to make good rock songs. And we've had hits with good rock songs. We've had had a lot of attention with our rock songs, and I wanted to turn our attention back to that. And and uh, that that did not seem to be the the direction of where where some people wanted we're, to be. Wanted to be. No, is that something that you can can you can lay at the feet of a band member, or was it mostly market forces? Because when you look at the bands at the time, whether they were the Def Leppards or the Bon Jovis, everybody had these power ballads, and everybody was pumping them out. And it got to a point where it was like, oh, here we go again. And it wasn't just Foreigner. It was sort of everybody. Yeah, but, but I mean, I have to say that whether it was Bon Jovi or Def Leppard, they're they're their ballads had had uh, still had the big guitar chords and 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 the, the heavy backbeat. It, it was a rock ballad. Our, our ballads seemed to be, you know, I, I, I love the songs. Please me, please don't 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 get me wrong. I love waiting for a girl and and I want to know what love is, but but they just seemed. Uh, uh, a little different than 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 uh, than Def Leppard's ballads. Right now, it, uh, it was a li- little a uh, little softer. It, it was so. So then, let, let me talk about this album since we're mentioning Def Leppard. You, you did an album called Shadow King with Vivian mm-hmm. Campbell, who of course yes. is in Def Leppard, and Kevin Valentine, who has ghosted on two Kiss albums. Mm-hmm. Um, that album is great, absolute great album, but it. Wow. Talk about under the radar, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Talk to me about that project. And at that point, uh, why not Lou Graham solo? Why why try to put this band together? And why do you think it just didn't stick? Because the players are all there. Bruce, Kevin, Vivian, you. The songs were there. Well, uh, um, to be honest with you, uh, it, it 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 was going to be a, a Lou Graham album, but but Vivian will, at that point would not be part of it unless it had a band name. Okay, he, he he put that on the line right from the word go. So so talk to me about that project though. Is that something that at some point you'd like to revisit those songs, or is that one of those that it happened and it's just best left as is? 
Well, I, I think the songs are real strong. I think the production from Keith Olsen was, was excellent on it. I, I, I think the, the songs are memorable. I, I think they're, they're, they're hard, but they have a lot of melodic integrity. I, 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 I actually love that album quite a bit, but, 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 but I, I don't know how you revive an album, you know. It's, it's, it's kind of history now. You know, right. It's not gonna. It's not gonna come back and suddenly uh, 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 sell two million and have three hit singles. It's it's been over with for almost twenty years. So so uh, uh, while I I have it in my heavy rotation when I'm when I'm in my truck driving, you know, and and I don't get tired of listening to it. But but it's not it's not gonna happen again like that. And and you know that was that was an Atlantic Records album, and uh, when when the higher ups at Atlantic Records heard the people that heard about the people that were potentially in the band, uh, uh, they were all gung ho, and and uh, we were signed to Atlantic, and and um, I, I know for a fact that when that album was completed just before it was released it was sabotaged really yeah. by by the record company well yeah they yeah. they sabotaged it but but it was because 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 there 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 was conversations about foreigners demise unless i came back with the band Right, and, and that was that was more important to Atlantic Records than than breaking Shadow King. Uh, uh, it seemed to me that they were convinced that if they didn't promote Shadow King the way they should have, no matter how good the album was, that it would be a one and done band, and and I would return to Foreigner. And that's and, what happened. And that's what happened. Um, I did want to ask you about Unusual Heat. When that album came out and has that other singer and it has the foreigner name on it, was that shocking to you? Did you sort of say, hey, whoa, 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 what are you doing here, Mick? Or did you sort of expect them to move forward and say, okay, well, Lou's doing his thing. We are going to continue to be a band. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't shocked. Okay. I, wasn't shocked. I, I, I know Mick well enough to know that, that uh, that's exactly what he would do. Yeah. And... and uh, you know, basically, it was it was because that while I was touring to support that album, um, the the band wasn't rehearsing or writing songs or anything, and I, and I thought I had a a pretty clear pathway for at least three or four months after the album was released, and I and I had I was fortunate enough to get to get. Uh, to get a position opening for Steve Miller on his tour. Yeah, that was a great tour. Yeah, and and uh, then then I got a call saying uh, saying that uh, you know Mick Mick was on. Uh, hang on a second. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. I've got my dog right next to me here too, so I understand. Yep. So so you know I, I got a phone call saying that. Uh, just a, a very, very blunt that said, uh, uh, well, actually, you know, Mick took his wife on a round-the-world cruise. I thought, I thought that after um, 
the last album that we had recorded that we would get right back in the studio and start working on a new album. And I was all gung-ho ready for that. And, and I heard that Mick was going to take a cruise and, and he might be gone three or four months, you know. And and I, I was really more than disappointed. I was I was kind of angry, you know. And and I said, well, don't be angry. This this leaves you a window to to record and and uh, and release another solo album and and go out on the road and promote it. So so I, I did exactly that. I, I recorded the album and I, and I had the opening slot with Steve Miller and I went out on the road. I got a call from Foreigners Management saying, "Mick's home. He's ready to start working. You got to put a stop to this right now." And I says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I says, that's, that's not what I learned from being in this band. I learned that when you, when you record an album, you do everything you can to promote it. I says, and, and you, you don't stop until you've done everything you can. I says, but you're telling me to stop what I'm doing and come back and start writing a new album? I says... I said no. I says I'm going to continue with this, and and uh, when when I'm done, I says I'm not going to tour for a year. I'll be done in, in about six or seven weeks. I says then I, then I'll, I'll I'll come right back to New York, and we can start working on an album. And there was no answer to that. And 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 then about three weeks later, I heard that they had another singer. Wow, that's that's, you know, uh, so so it's it's like it's like Gestapo, right. But let me let me put it this way, so, you know, given all this, the, the, these the situations that have happened over the years, there's been some animosity and this and that. As we've gotten all of us older and wiser, what is your take on Mick Jones? Because when you look back at it, you wrote songs that are going to live for hundreds of years. People are going to be singing these in 2100. Um, what has he meant to you personally and professionally over the years? Yes, there was these bumps and bruises along the way but taking stock of it now you both have very successful careers because of what you've done you're in the songwriters hall of fame with you know billy joel who inducted you um how do you look at mick today uh, i i've um you know i've um thought, thought about my relationship with him a lot and 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 there's some things that that really don't sit well with me, uh, uh, but 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 I'm willing to put that aside and move forward. And 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 that that was um, pretty much what I let him know when when we were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Right. I mean, that you kind of rekind- that rekindled the friendship. Yeah, because you, I mean personalities aside you have created you know 40 years of magic right i mean there's there's got to be something to be said for that yes absolutely absolutely um you know when when people talk to you or mick we always look back at the big big albums we always look at double vision and head games and four and all that wonderful stuff but there's one album that has particularly intrigued me over the years and it includes for me one of my top five foreigner songs and that's Mr. Moonlight, that album, and the song White Lie. I mean, that is as good of a song as you are going to hear from any band. Um, 
Can talk- I tell you something? Yeah. Do you know I wrote that song? Yes, I do. And isn't it great? <laughs> right? Yeah, I love it. Oh, Didn't I- see the light of day, but I love it. Yeah, and in fact, I listened to it uh, about 25 minutes ago. I just, I can't get enough of that song. It is, But but that aside, and, and, and my, my crazy fandom aside for that song, um, talk to me about that album, because it really is, or for now, unless there's these writing sessions that, you know, it is the last one to feature you. It was put out in a very, very... Uh, difficult time for bands like Foreigner and Def Leppard and Bon Jovi, and though you know it didn't have a fighting chance really. But then nope. you look, you look at the songs: "White Lie," "Rain," um, "All I Need Rain, to Know." I, I, I love Rain. Yeah, Rain's great, and Big Dog. All I, I need I, to know. I love all, yes. All, all I need to know and Big Dog. Yeah. I, th- I think Big Dog is absolutely. Um, I don't want to say hilarious, but it, it's just so not foreigner that, it, that it's it's great. And then, of course, Crash and Burn, which is the Japanese bonus track. But but talk to me about that album and going in. What, were you expecting that to be sort of like, okay, I'm back on the horse and let's ride into the sunset? Or was that, were you dragged in kicking and screaming like, you're going to make this album? If you, you know, um, just what was that like for you? Well, um, for me, after coming off the album before that, which which I I really didn't have that much to do with. Um, Mick and my relationship in the album before that was had deteriorated to the point where where I I got very very little input on any of those songs, and uh, it got to the point where where he was writing everything, and 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 he would write out the lyrics for me and sing me a, a, a demo and, and then and then uh, have me go in and sing sing the song and we would record it you know it was uh, we we had uh, our, our relationship had diminished down to just just barely a working relationship so so um you know we we had uh we 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 had met in in L.A. at the Sunset Marquee during the L.A. riots, and there was martial law. We we were confined to the hotel. There there were there were uh, uh, National Guard and and uh, marshals walking on the roof with, with high powered rifles, and and we were basically confined confined to the hotel, and we had gotten together to talk about the possibility of working together again. And so we were there about three or four days with nothing to do but get in each other's face about what went wrong and what would have to happen if we were, if we were to, to pick this up and run with it. And uh, we covered a lot of ground. I, I aired everything to him, and he had some things... For me to listen to too, you know, but but I as much as told him that that he had to admit that our best stuff was written by him and I, and and that there was a chemistry there, and unless we worked to find that chemistry again, I, I wasn't interested in singing his songs. Right. Okay. So so so. When we started working on on uh, Mr. Moonlight, 
to, to me, it, it was almost like doing the first album over again. And and I got so excited about the songs, and and uh, I was very lucid in my 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 words that I was writing, and he helped me with them too, like he always had in the past. Uh, but but he, he he was surprised and 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 very pleased with with the melodies and the words and the way things were going. And. Um, Thing is, we weren't on Atlantic Records anymore. We were on, uh, I can't remember what. Arista. No, 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 it wasn't Arista. It was. Uh, it, it was oh, BMG? No. No, it was an independent label. Was, I can't remember. You wouldn't know it if you saw it. Anyways, it was an independent label. And, and, uh, so, so, so we worked on the album in Woodstock. And and uh, we completed the album, and uh, the album was released, and and uh, a lot of people said it wasn't in the record stores. We heard from from fans that that went looking for it and couldn't find it. Um, we we were touring, playing playing the hits, but playing at least two or three of the songs off Mr. Moonlight. And and uh, they were getting good response from people who I know had never heard them before because radio wasn't playing it. This was the time where corporate America bought up radio, yep. and and the program directors, the 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 creative program directors that used to be involved in FM radio, were, were now out of there, and and. The corporations were telling the radio station what to play and how often, and we were relegated to 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 um, hit radio like like they would play our old songs, but they wouldn't play anything new by us or anybody else. Tom Petty, The Cars, Brian Adams, whoever the old songs they had they had. At radio stations that would just play those songs over and over again. But if you came out with a great album, too bad, because they were already ushering in a new, a new bunch of artists, new bands, new soloists, new everything, and they were getting to play on on on, uh, on on the top forty radio stations and stuff like that. And we couldn't buy our way on to 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 get get a song played. How about this? We'd go to these stations. And do interviews when we were playing in town, and and they would play our old hits, and and we'd say, well, we have a new album out, uh, uh, and and the first single is White Lie, and and he'd go, yeah, good, we'll play a little bit of that. So he'd play he'd play the intro and half of the first verse. He'd start talking over it and fade it out before it even reached the chorus. That's frustrating. It's it's it's. It's really frustrating. So, 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 so the record stores weren't stocked with it. As much as we tried to to promote it on the radio, it, it, they they wouldn't even they wouldn't even give the song a complete listen, and 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 consequently it it, it sold very little. However, in Europe and the rest of the world, it was a smash. Yeah, and and White Lie is is truly one of the best songs. That you have written. I mean, it's just—it's fantastic. Um, I, I love it. 
Oh, I love it too. And, and I don't know if you've played it live in your sets recently, but if you haven't, it, it's time to reconsider. Um, just quickly, your solo band with Rob and Michael, uh, when you're out there, you play the songs very faithfully. You know, you, it, it, it's the voice. And when, when we go see a Lou Graham show, we get the best of Lou, right? I mean, we, we get it. Um, what's your take on what Nick's band is doing? Because Jeff Pilson is great. Kelly is, is great. Do you look at them as, as doing faithful interpretations? Is there a sense of competition? Is it, eh, you know, everybody's doing what they got to do? How, how do you sort of see, because your band is doing a great yeah. job. I mean, Rob and, and Michael and everybody else, just great. Um, Thanks. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I tried to get the right kind of people to, to play the songs faithfully, you know. Well, you did and, that. And, uh, yep, good, thanks. And, and um, you know, I, I obviously did not feel good about Mick forming a new foreigner at first, but but as time went by, I understood why he did that, and and uh, and and I think they they play the the hits very well too. I'm I'm not real thrilled with their own songs. They really they they lack that certain something. But 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 when when they play our old hits, they they do it well. Kelly sings it good. The band plays it well, and and you know. And put Mick right in there, and and you're you're good. Yeah, and I think for fans, you know, we win because we'll be in whatever Syracuse or Rochester, and and Foreigner will roll into town. You get to see the hits, and then six months later, you're right there, and we get to see them again. So, yep. you know, it's a bit of double double, which I, I'm as a Canadian, uh, I'm down for double double. I like that kind of stuff, and uh, you know, I hope I hope as we move forward, there will be. Uh, more collaborations with you and Mick. I hope what he said to me in March uh, pans out and that we get an album or an EP or, you know, even if we have to do a deluxe edition of, of Mr. Moonlight with bonus tracks, let, let's do it because, <laughs> right, th- there's a lot of magic there and, and it, it would be a shame to just sort of let it peter out and, and dissipate without uh, tapping it one more time. I, I agree. And, you know, when I, I, I listen to Mr. Moonlight a lot and I think the more I listen to it, the more more endears itself to me. I think it's one of our best three albums that the band ever recorded, and and I, I just it's it's you know it, like a lot of other things in this business and every other business. There's there's some serious injustices that you just can't do a damn thing about. I'll agree with that. I'll absolutely agree with that. And maybe at Sturgis, because that, that's just why we're on the phone. Maybe when you get to the uh, festival, you can convince Mick to uh, surprise the folks with White Lie. I think that, that would send a few people to like, whoa, what's that? But uh, absolute, absolute pl- pleasure talking to you today. I know we've run out of time. Uh, it's been 14 years since the last conversation. Hopefully, will not be 14 more until the next one. Well, I agree. I agree. Thank you, Lou. Just absolute Thank thrill. Thank you very much. Thank you so uh, much. My, my pleasure. Bye-bye Talk now. Talk to you again. Yes, yeah, bye. cheers. Bye-bye. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. And a big thank you to Lou Graham for that inspiring interview. Just absolutely loved Lou Graham and Foreigner, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, John, welcome back to the show. We are now going to talk about uh, Ario Speedwagon and Kevin Cronin. Um, nice. So... We know that you and I are big Foreigner fans. Where does REO Speedwagon fit into the discussion for you? 
truly, that would be right in there. You know, I'm a child of the 80s, and REO Speedwagon, man, was, uh, was right in there. And, uh, and uh, the dearly departed Gary Richrath, man, amazing guitar player. I love that band, and I still do. Um, fantastic songs, and um, yeah, man, we're talking about, to me, true epic rock stars. What the, to me, the definition of rock stars growing up as a kid were guys in Foreigner, you know, guys in Kiss, Aerosmith, and to me, REO Speedwagon, man, they were an awesome band. Yeah, they really were, and and I had a, a fun moment during the interview. I, I reminded uh, Kevin that they are in the 42nd year of their reunion tour, because as you know, he left somewhere in 72, 73, and he came back around 76, and I was like, hey, you've been on a 42-year reunion tour, so that's kind of funny. Now, the band is on tour with Chicago, a great, great bill. Over the years, I've had a pleasure of seeing them with Def Leppard and Tesla. Uh, they did the Don Felder Sticks tour, you know, just... Just a great bunch yeah. of packages that they've been putting together. I will see them August 4th in Malone, New York at the Franklin County Fair. And, of course, speaking of Chicago, and here, here's a good one. On uh, July 22nd, the Illinois Top 200 Project, which is part of the state's bicentennial celebration, put out a list of the 10 top Illinois Musicians, and so let me let me just go here from the back here. Uh, number ten, they had Sam Cooke. Number nine, Muddy Waters. Number eight, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Seven, Buddy Guy. I mean, right? So far, it's a mouth-watering list, right? You just are like, wow. yeah. Yep. Uh, Benny Goodman at six. Miles Davis at five. Uh, I want you to want me. Cheap Trick at number four. Just wow, what a band. Number three, Nat King Cole. Allison Krauss at number two. And guess what? from Champaign, Illinois, REO Speedwagon came in at number one on the top wow. 10 Illinois musician list, which which is remarkable. And unless I'm mistaken, I, I still don't think they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So you've got this great, great band, love and appreciated. Um, yeah. Right? I mean, it, it's an impressive list to chart, to, to top, I should say. When you're ahead of Alison Krauss and Nat King Cole, you go, hmm, okay, that's... Right. Muddy Waters. <laughs> Muddy Waters, right? That's uh, that's one to, to be impressed with. So oh, should, yeah. should we listen to, to Kevin and see what he has to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, and just I'll just tell folks, this was an interesting interview because I was given 15 minutes or what we call a hard 15. We got it over to 24 minutes. Uh, I had been trying to get an interview with Kevin for over 20 years. It was just not working out. They were either not on tour, not doing promotion, doing only local press, and, and they don't come to uh, – in fact, I don't think they've ever played – actually, they haven't played Montreal, I think, since 82 or something like that. They're, they're mostly an American touring entity, which is, which is strange. But uh, here we go. Here is the one, the only singer extraordinaire – Kevin Cronin. We are speaking with REO Speedwagon's Kevin Cronin. Kevin, an absolute pleasure for me to talk to you. I have been trying to track down an interview with you for easily about 20 years, and so here it is. It's it's a big, <laughs> it's a big, big moment. You know, Mitch, it's going to be such a letdown, but let you know. But but I'm glad. I'm. I'm you know, it probably would have been better if if you if we just would have kept it that you that you were searching for me and couldn't find me because you know now what now 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 I got to really uh, I got to step up here. All right, I'm I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm going to do this, man. Let's go. You, you've got to step up, and I've got to say, I, <laughs> I I first saw you live only recently on the Def Leppard Tesla tour of a couple of years ago, and. 
in terms of performance, you certainly stepped up because I saw two shows and Quebec City and Toronto, and you were just spectacular. So uh, that's, I think, what fans are going to expect when we come here to Malone, New York on August 4th. So um, talk to me about touring. I know somewhere around 2014, you started playing a new song live, Whipping Boy. Is that something that the fans can expect? And, And so let's talk tour and let's talk new music first. Well, you know what? First of all, thank you for, uh, for for coming out and seeing us with with the with the Def Left. Those guys are, um, you know, you know, touring touring with people who you who you get along with and who are who are cool is makes makes life on the road so much more enjoyable. And um, you know, and we you know we choose the people that we tour with based on you know the the compatibility of the music, but also the compatibility of the actual people and uh and the and the Def Lep guys are just uh they're the best that they're, their their crew and everybody so that that sets up a um you know a good vibe around the whole tour and it and it brings out the best in in all the, the bands so that uh that was really fun and we've got a similar uh, situation out here when we tour with Chicago. This is our yep. second, our second major tour with Chicago, and um, we've just gotten to know them well. And and uh, and you know, again, it's it's a great vibe backstage, uh, and that goes off over into the audience. You know, when we play, because everyone's everyone's happy to see one another when we get there every day. Um, and yeah, we did. We we played. Um, we played a new song of mine called Whipping Boy. Uh, that year, and uh, and it and people really uh, responded well to it. It's it's one of those songs that um, that kind of it kind of sticks to your ribs the first time you hear it. It's got a little something that that people relate to. Um, so that's you know that's always a lot of fun to do. That song shows up in our set list sometimes and and sometimes not. It just depends on um, you know. We we have basically it's it's like this you know we've got a a core of whatever ten or so songs that um, if we don't play one of those ten songs there will be an angry mob awaiting us around the tour bus after the concert basically right so you got to play those ones and then we've got what we call the audibles and the audibles it's like you know it's I'm kind of I've been awarded the uh, the dubious distinction of kind of being the quarterback of the band. So, you know, if if uh, if I feel a vibe from the audience, or I know a certain area of the country, you know, a, a certain song, kind of a, a certain album cut, maybe was popular there in the day or whatever. So, there's always those those audibles that that we can call and so that kind of keeps it interesting but um you know on a tour like this with with chicago we kind of come out there and clobber you with 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 one hit after another and so there's something to be said for that too and we just go out there and it's just the set we're playing this year is pretty relentless it's just like you know uh uh you know it's it's a it's a hit fest let me put it that way yeah it really is uh is there a motivation, though, to, to get into the studio and make new music? Because as you look, and, and and I don't mean this disparagingly, but the heritage acts that, that come out, I just saw Foreigner, I just saw Def Leppard, I just saw... The sets are great, and I, when I saw you with the guy, just great stuff. There is, there's sort of no need to make new music at this point, right? There's, there's no sort of motivation other than just desire? Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of a weird thing. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like 
the you know the question is is asked of me often uh and um you know about new music and uh you know from from people in the press people who I speak to at radio stations uh fans etc and but the reality of the situation is when we're out playing live you know there's a certain uh, uh, you know a certain amount of the audience that when we play a new song, it's like that's their cue to go get another beer, you know, or, you know, or, or good luck trying to get a radio station to play a new song by Ario Speedwagon when they've got 15 or 20 old songs by Ario Speedwagon that that they know are proven hits. And uh, so it's like it's kind of like everyone wants to know that the band is is not just sitting around resting on your laurels, you know, that, that people want to know that the band is, is still, is still a creative force and is still um, making new music. No one really wants to hear it. <laughs> they just want to know we're doing it. So, so the fact is, is that, that, that we're always, you know, messing around at sound checks with new ideas. We, we, we mess around in the dressing room, you know, with acoustic guitars and, and, um, you know, that's kind of how Whippin' Boy came to, came to be. It, that song was, was born and evolved through sound checks over, over a, you know, about a year period. So, and then another thing we do, though, is we play in the set our, our vintage cars. And you're, so, so you're always tinkering with them, you know, just making little changes here or there that, that, that the audience may not even notice except for the, you know, for the real, the, the fans that are really into it. Because the truth is, when you make an album, the songs are brand new. So you, you, you know, so you're creating the definitive versions of songs that you that you barely even know how to play yet. You know, so it's we get the the uh, the privilege over the years to to continue to improve upon them, and and that's and that's fun. You know, there, there's creativity involved in that, and and then one last thing is that. I am in the midst of of, of writing my uh, my memoirs. It kind of started by accident um, at, at the end of the Def Leppard tour uh, in England, and uh, and and here we are, uh, you know, almost two years later, and and I'm getting close to being done with it. And uh, so there's uh, uh, so that's been a real a great creative outlet for me because. You know, writing is writing, whether it's a song, a book, a magazine article, a blog on the Facebook page. It's it's all uh, I enjoy it all. Well, OK, so so just, uh, I'll take you up on the writing thing real quick here. Um, back in around 89, Everybody's Got to Face the Music was written by Richard Marks, but performed by you on the Sing soundtrack. Uh, you've never stepped out and done a solo album. Is that something that you want to do, or is that something like, no, I've got this. Why would I want to do that? Right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah. Well, there, there, there is there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, Richard and I are friends, and and so you know, when when he asked me to to uh, help him out on that uh, on that soundtrack, I was happy to do it. I I, I really do love, um, you know, interacting with with artists outside the band, and I do it. I get opportunities to do that for various charity events all the time. And, and it's so much fun. I just did a charity event with Sammy Hagar up in the, up at the Fillmore West in San Francisco, where I got to, first of all, I got to sing 
background, I got to sing the harmony on Friend of the Devil with Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead at the Fillmore West, which was, you know, that was just amazing. And then I, then I got to play a few REO songs with, and, and check out my backup band, Michael Anthony on bass, uh, Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers on drums, and Joe Cetriani on guitar. And so the four of us did a bunch of REO songs. And, um, you know, that was just spectacular. You know, that, just so much fun to hear. Oh, my, my God, just amazing. So, but as far as a solo album, I, you know, it was something that for years I always was planning on doing. And, but lately, um, you know, the band has become so, um, I don't know, we've just kind of evolved to the point where I, the band and I work together so, um, so well on, on the songs that I write that, you know, it's like, if I did a solo album, it wouldn't sound much different than the last Ario Speedwagon album, Find Your Own Way Home, because that's, uh, so, so, but, but one of the things that I'm going to do, I think, is, you know, I've got demos of, you know, from, from when I was in high school, uh, all the way through to the present of, and some of the songs have, uh, uh, you know, were never released. Some of the, some of the demos are, you know, the demo versions of songs that became big hits with Ario Speedwagon. And, and I talk about, you know, the, the book kind of, um, follows the songs and, and kind of, it kind of tells my life story as the songs tell my life story. And, um, and so I had the idea that perhaps I would, um, somehow include all these, all these demos over the years in the, a package with the book and give people a, a chance to hear songs that they've never heard and hear songs that they know well, you know, as they sounded you know, on the original song demos. So that's, that's an idea that, that is kind of uh, in the works and we're, we're going to, we're, we're kind of harvesting all the old demos and seeing if we can figure out a way to um, make that happen. That'd be great. And Hey, you know, someday I might make a solo album, you know, at this point I'm having so much fun touring with REO, you know, writing the book and being a dad. I mean, I'm, I've got a, uh, you know, a beautiful wife and three kids and, right. uh, and, uh, you know, I'm gone half the time. So when I'm home, you know, the, the thought of going back in the studio when, you know, when my children and my wife need me, uh, you know, that's it's not quite, you know, I'm not quite there yet. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. Uh, so let me talk to you quickly about Shane and Joss needing you. They're, they're of course, in a band called Sir Please. How how do you sort of guide them or mentor them into making it? Or is it more hands-off? You just say, listen, I had to figure it out. Go what is it like for you now to be in that role of, or if you are in that role of mentoring your sons, navigating this new music business? Cause it's sort of, I mean, it's not like the old days where record companies threw money at you threw tour support at you, you know, paid off the record to the, the, the radio stations. Now you sort of got to slug it out down and dirty, right? Yeah. You know, I, I'm really lucky that, you know, that, you know, my, my boys, Josh and Shane, they're twins. Uh, they, they were both basketball stars from the time they were, you know, in about fourth grade up until their sophomore year of high school. And then they, they both kind of almost at this, almost simultaneously were like, dad, you know, we're done with, with basketball. And, and, and I, you know, I didn't want to be 
the dad that, that pushed my kids into anything. My, my thing was, you know, to have musical instruments all over the house, have a, a basketball net out back, have a, have baseballs and baseball, you know, whatever, all these different possibilities for, the, for, for kids, you know, and I was fortunate to be in a position to be able to provide that for, for, for my boys and then just kind of see where their lives took them. And they, you know, they, they messed around with the musical instruments a little bit, but they never really got into it. And, and I was fine with that. And then all of a sudden when they hit about the age of about 15, they, they jumped in and my, my son Shane realized that he had a great singing voice and, and he sure does. I mean, I should be so lucky to be able to sing like him. This kid has an amazing instrument and, and his brother, Josh has got a, you know, a, a talent for songwriting and he's a great little bass player. So, um, and, and their band, you know, we're, we have a kind of a guest house back back in the yard and that has been turned into uh the surprise uh rehearsal hall and, and clubhouse so i can kind of sit in the yard or sit in the kitchen crack the window and hear what they're doing and it's and and my line with them is if i hear something i like you know i run out there and pop my head in and my thing is you know i'm not your producer but if i was i might suggest you know a b and c and uh and we've got a it's become just a great bond between my sons and and myself and my wife as well as she's kind of the band mom right and so they um they've kind of learned that that i'm not trying to insert myself into anything you know there's no ego in it for me it's just if i hear something that i feel like i can help them with i give them the suggestion and they've kind of seen that you know dad Dad got kind of got an ear for this thing, you know. So yeah. it's a we've got a really good balance in the relationship, and it's it, it's it's really fun. That said, you know, making it as a young band in the music business today, you know, that's a, that's a whole other thing, and it's 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 a little scary as a parent. I'll be honest with you, um, you know, it's their dream, and 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 I hope it comes true, but I'm also really encouraging them to. Uh, to go to college and, 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 uh, yeah, they just graduated from high school and, uh, and they're both enrolled as we speak. And so we're hoping that they can kind of figure out how to do both. And, and, and that'll be the, that'll be the challenge. The crowning thing. And, and I know that we're down to about four minutes here, so I'll, I'll hit you with two quick questions. You just got uh, voted from the Illinois top 200 project as the greatest band out of Illinois, beating out Alison Krauss, Nat King Cole, uh, Miles Davis, Cheap Trick. What an honor. I mean, and by the way, Cheap Trick and Ario Speedwagon should tour next year. That's I'm just throwing that out there. But what an honor, right, to, to be the best band from Illinois? Well, first of all, I would love to tour with Cheap we, we We have done so many shows over the years with Cheap Trick. They are our buddies, and we love those guys. And, and you know, that the, 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 the thought has, you know, been thrown around that, that it's been a while since since uh, Ario and Cheap Trick have toured together, that, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, we love those guys. And, you know, I just heard about this um, Illinois, uh, this honor that we received for for Illinois. It honestly, it makes no sense to me. I, I, um, there's so many, uh, there's so many deserving uh, people. I mean, you know, where's Danny Fogelberg on that list? Where's where's Sticks? Where I mean, they're just, it's just the list goes on and. And to be mentioned 
in the same sentence as, as Allison Krauss is, um, I mean, there's no way that Ario Speedwagon belongs above Allison Krauss. I'm sorry. I would have voted against ourselves in that, in that, because, uh, I literally, I just saw her, uh, a special on access TV. It was, it, it was on in my hotel room, uh, late one night. And I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't stop watching it. I was just transfixed Her, her and her band are just, they're all just such masters of what they do that it's just, uh, it's a, it's an unfair comparison. Uh, and, 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 and the fact is that's really what it comes down to. You can't, how do you, how do you compare, you know, Ario Speedwagon to Alison Krauss to Nat King Cole to Miles Davis? I mean, that, that makes no sense to me. And it's, so it's a, it's certainly a, a subjective choice that whoever sure. made up that list must have been our Speedwagon fans, you know. So, right. so I appreciate it. it. I'm honored by it. I'm humbled by it. And at the same time, it makes a little to no sense to me because there's so many people who are uh, who are um, more deserving than us. But uh, but hey, I'll accept it and I'll be great, uh, gracious and uh, and and humbled. Thank you. It's a it's a great honor, and I see that we're running out of time. So I'll finish with this. Uh, you sh- you came into REO for the two album. And then you came back in 76 for the REO album. Uh, essentially, you've been on a 42-year reunion tour, come to think of it. Um, right? Uh, just talk to me about those four yeah. years. Right? I mean, technically, it's a 42-year reunion tour. Uh, but, but talk to me about those four years and walking away. Was it discovering yourself and thinking, okay, let me go back to the band. Let's do this again properly. Were you sort of down on your luck and said, Oh, I got no choice. I got to go back to this band or, you know, was it a great moment of self-discovery that four years in between where you just sort of went, Oh, well now what, you know? Well, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, um, a, 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 a growth period for me. And, and, you know, the, the thing is, and I tell the story in the book about the fact, the fact was that the, the reason that it fell apart, you know, in 1973 during the ride in the Stormont album is that, I was, you know, I was kind of a folk singer. You know, my, my band, my, my high school band before I joined REL was had more uh, in in common with the Birds and Buffalo Springfield. You know, I was I used to play a Rickenbacker twelve string. I mean, we were, you know, I, I was on more of a of a parallel track to not to compare myself at all because I'm a huge Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fan, but that was where my music was kind of headed. It was kind of birds based, you know, and that jangly guitar thing. And so when I joined REO, they were a powerful, you know, they were all just, you know, heavy, you know, guitar driven rock and roll. And it was, it was not exactly what I was used to. And so I was having trouble vocally because they were so loud that I, that it was, I was straining my voice. And, um, and so I, I was having, I, I, I went and got myself checked out and by a, a, a voice specialist, I had a stop, you know, it just wasn't, it was going to, I had a, I was in, in, in danger of really injuring myself. So I was afraid to tell the band because I had only been in the band for about a year. And so I, you know, I stopped singing at rehearsals and they thought I was just being a prima donna, but really I was just afraid I was going to lose my voice. So it kind of, it kind of fell apart because of that. And, um, and I, and I thought I was feeling pretty good. You know, the REO TWO record did pretty well. And that was when I really was uh, thinking about 
making a solo album and, and being a solo artist. And, um, and so, uh, I made some demos and we, we shopped it around to a, to some record labels and didn't really get the response that I was hoping I was going to get. Um, and I went through a period of, you know, you know, going to Colorado to get my head together and, you know, the, the usual stuff that young people do to try to try to get back in things back in focus. And, um, I, I was, uh, you know, working as a solo artist, kind of building up my, uh, my repertoire, et cetera. And I, I got a call from, from Neil, Neil Dowdy saying that, uh, that the, uh, that the, the band had gotten a, uh, a, uh, what do you call it? Um, an advance when, when people sign, uh, no, no, it, it was a petition. It was a right. petition with like, you know, 15,000 names on it or something crazy, you know, wanting the REO uh, uh, lineup to get back, uh, in place. And, uh, so I thought, you know what, let's give this another shot. And, and the, the good news was that I had, you know, I'd opened for the Eagles, you know, on a solo acoustic. I, 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 so I gained a lot of confidence as a performer and, and just as how to deal with an audience and, uh, which I didn't really have when, when I, uh, my first time around with Ariel. So, we came back together, them feeling like they needed me and me feeling like I needed them. And there, so there was a, a mutual respect that, that had, that was there and that was missing the first time around. And so I think that really helped to uh, propel the band. And, and I'm sorry that story went on. for so long. No, it's a great story. And, <laughs> but, and, uh, and I know we're out of time. I, I could have gone on for another uh, 45 minutes easily, but it was it was everything I've been hoping for in the last 20 years. So, Kevin, just absolutely a, a pleasure. And I will be at that show on uh, August 4th in Malone, New York. Hopefully I can say hello, but uh, just thank you so much. Absolutely pleasure. Absolutely. I'll see you up in Malone, and we'll, we'll figure out a time to, to continue. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, there you go. Thank you, folks. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was Bye-bye great. Now. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Hey, a big thank you to Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon. Again, I will be seeing them August 4th at the Franklin County Fair in Malone, New York. If you see me there, please come by and say hello. John, welcome back. Um, before, thank you. Yeah, before we get over to uh, Colin Blundstone of The Zombies, and, and, and by the way, he has been a member of that band since 1961, Un- unless I'm mistaken, longer than you have been alive, but I certainly know longer than I've been alive. I mean, isn't that amazing to be in a band that long? Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, you, you talk about five, six decades. That's amazing, man. I mean, can you see yourself as a member of Seether like in 2052? Right. I mean, <laughs> if I'm still here, I'll keep trucking. You know, yeah. I always say, man, I'm very fortunate. I've been with Cedar now 15 years and it's been, you know, we've never gone on hiatus. It's been album tour cycle, album tour cycle since I joined and feel very fortunate to still be out there doing it. But yeah, to be, to do it 40 plus years later, that would be amazing. <laughs> right. Now you've also, yeah, 50, right. Right. 50 going on to 60 years. Now you've also been a part of the Nixons. You've done a, you did a few little shows recently. Where are we with the Nixons? Are, is that sort of done and we're on to see there or are you sort of balancing both? What's, what's coming up in the Nixons world? 
Yeah, man, the shows were a great success. Um, uh, this last year, we ha- we had an absolute blast. We wrote and recorded a new song, and uh, and we are I actually laid drums down to two more tracks, and so. We don't know if we're working towards an EP or maybe a full-length album at some point, but we had a great time, and the vibe was great. But, yeah, we're going to be doing a weekend of shows in October. Uh, We'll be at Tower Theater in Oklahoma City October 25th, and we're playing the Curtain Club in Deep Ellum in Dallas, Texas, October 26th. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're having a great time. So anytime I can kind of squeeze it into Seether's, in between tours on Seether's very busy schedule, we try to, and, uh, and that's what we're doing. Oh, that's going to be great. Now, of course, the Zombies are currently on tour, and the tour will, will uh, stretch into 2019. They are going everywhere. They are covering Germany, North America, Denmark, Norway. I mean, they're just covering absolutely every tour territory. Such a great, great band. Any, any memories for you of the Zombies? I mean, they've been around longer than we've been around, so at some point, did any of the songs catch your attention? Absolutely. You know, I'm, uh, I grew up uh, in record stores and I, you know, in high school, I worked at a, a record store, used record store. And I remember, of course, uh, the guy that owned it, the, the store that I worked at was kind of schooling me on music from the fifties and sixties, early seventies. And of course, time of the season, she's not there. Tell her no. were like songs I learned about and recently getting so heavily back into vinyl uh, funny enough, Odyssey and Oracle is like a he- highly coveted, like original pressing sort of vinyl to get for collectors. And I finally originally uh, got an original copy on the date label that's like so hard to find. Oh, that's and great. Uh, I've really gotten into the you know, into the band, so I'm sort of a latecomer to the party. But um, yeah, yeah, I love the music, man. That psychedelic vibe of you know time of the season and that album. Great band. It's such a great band, and of course, uh, one of the band members, or current band members, is Rod Argent, who of course had Argent, and they did God Gave Rock and Roll to You, which you and me, our favorite band there, Kiss covered. Um, yes. Tell me a little story, because you, you have some insight on the whole God Gave Rock and Roll to You, Eric Carr, last video, the whole thing. Uh, what's your personal experience with that? Yeah, man. I mean, obviously being a drummer, uh, hugely influenced. My first Kiss concert was Creatures. So Eric Carr, you know, is a huge influence to me. And I have since become friends with Loretta, his sister. And I actually visited her last year and she pulled out some killer gems for me to see. And one of them being that sort of jersey shirt he had with the big white cross that he wore in that video. She let me, you know, see the shirt and take you know, hold it. I mean, it's just, uh, amazing. I'm just being a big fan. And I, you know, I geek out because I'm a freaking kiss freak and music fan. And, and that was, that was really amazing to see up close. Yeah. And you also took part in, in, in a kiss tribute where you re-recorded the drum tracks for one of his songs. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that was amazing for that unfinished business CD that the family put out. Um, I did that song, Eyes of Love, which I believe was a demo for Hot in the Shade or around that time. Right. But uh, yeah, it had like a drum machine or, or, or I forget, but she wanted me to replace the drums with, with like a real, you know, real live drum kit. And uh, yeah, I went into a studio, a friend of mine, and we went in and, and recorded drums to that track. And it was so surreal to have his vocals in my, you know, my, my cans and, and to be right. playing to that song. It was 
it was amazing, and I hope I did it justice. But yeah, that was absolute honor to do that. Yeah, that was great. And and you know what? Furthermore, in 2013, when my wife's uh, father passed away from prostate cancer, I did this a World with Heroes Kiss tribute to to raise money for a palliative care home here. Uh, we raised thirty five thousand yeah. dollars, and Loretta was kind enough to donate that track with you on drums for that project. And so, uh, you know, a big thank you, of course, to Loretta. She's always been an absolute yes. sweetheart and a supporter of everything you do and I do. And, and of course, just thank you to you because, you know, you could have said, hey, I didn't do this drums for that project. You, you could have put a kibosh on it. And, of course, you didn't. So, and, of course, anybody else who was on the track. So thank you to everybody who said, yeah, you know what? We're good with donating this. So, you know, much appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks, man. That's great. Yeah, so there you go. And uh Eric, man, wow. Uh, what a what a drummer. Um yeah. missed missed absolutely every day. But uh let us uh without sounding a too crass, let's get over to our interview. Let's listen to Colin. He was absolutely, absolutely a great gentleman to talk to. Love talking to him. Uh do check out the zombies on tour. They are all over the world. It is unbelievable that a band that started so long ago in the late or late 50s, early 60s, are still going strong in 2018. So here is, without further ado, the one, the only, Colin Blunstone of the Zombies. We are speaking with the Zombies, Colin Blunstone. Colin, a great, great pleasure to talk to you today. Great to talk to you, Mitch. Yeah, so so much going on with the band. You, you've been touring, and you've got these shows coming up later on this year with uh, Uriah Heep over in Europe. You've got a a show out in California with uh, Arcade Fire, which is from my hometown here in Montreal. Um, just talk to me about the continued interest in the band, because the the career arc has certainly been very interesting, from fake zombies to real zombies to you breaking up before your big album came out. Talk to me about the... the... It hasn't been a typical um, tale of, of a band. It's, it's been a little strange. Going right back to the original band in 1967, I think we thought it was time, all of us thought it was time to move on and try new projects, which is what we did in 1967. Um, We left behind an album called Odyssey and Oracle, which a year or 18 months later became very successful. And one of the tracks, particularly on it, called Time of the Season, was a huge hit all around the world. But by then, we were all committed to other projects, and there, was, there just was no way to get the band back together again. And also, everyone in the band has always, always been kind of forward-thinking. They've always been interested in what comes next rather than what happened in the past. So that, that was a strange thing, that an album came out after the band had finished because they thought they weren't successful, and it was a huge success. Um, we went on and did our various other projects. I eventually was quite successful as a solo artist in the UK and Europe. Sadly, it didn't happen in Northern America. Um, and um, Rod and Chris were both involved in the band Argent, and they had their successes, and also as producers and writers for other people as well. And I worked with Rod, with Rod Argent, the keyboard player in the Zombies, off and on over the years, and in... 1999, I called him because I had some solo dates coming up and my keyboard player was very unreliable. And I said, look, I'm a bit stuck. 
I didn't think at that time in his life he would want to start touring again, to be honest. But I thought I'd just try it. And um, he, I said, I've got six dates. Any chance you could come out on these six dates? And he said, yeah, okay, I'll do it. But I only want to do the six dates. And here we are, <laughs> 19 years later. Um, we, we surprised ourselves how much we enjoyed it. Um, and, and we managed to, much the same way as we did with the original Zombies, we managed to build up um, a sort of a, a local following, which became bigger and bigger. Then we started touring abroad and we started recording. And to be honest, the, the biggest thrill of my career, music career, is the reaction that we get and the way we've built up this incarnation of, of the Zombies. Because uh, we had no idea that there was a worldwide interest in the Zombies repertoire. And so we've been rediscovering these old songs at the same time as the audiences have, because uh, we'd kind of forgotten about them. And, it, and it's just been great fun relearning our old repertoire, but at the same time writing and recording new songs as well. We've always been musicians who want to write and record new songs. It's very important to us. So it's, it's been great fun from 1999 up until now, 19 years. We've been touring around the world playing some old uh, some old hits and some standards from the 60s but also playing a lot of new music and it's it's been a thrill how well that new music has been um has has the reaction that we've got from that um, new music because very often the uh, it's received as well uh, um, by the audience as the classic tracks so it's a strange tale, but um, it's, it, I can tell you it's been great fun. It, it really has been. So let, let's talk about new music. The last album, Still Got That Hunger, came out in 2015. We're going on three years. In fact, it is three years. We're going to be on to four years soon between new albums. Where does that put you in terms of creating something new? And is as you create new music, do you want to have it come out as, as the zombies, or do you want to sort of keep the Argent Blundstone thing going or just Colin by himself going? Where do you see new music in your future and in the band's future? Well, could I just say that when we first got back together again in 1999, it was never our intention to reform the zombies. We toured for years as Colin Blundstone and Rod Argent, but people kept, the promoters billed us as the zombies, even if contractually we asked them not to. Uh, and, And audiences addressed us as the zombies. And it took about seven or eight years, but we thought, you know, people are calling us the zombies. We're, we're playing zombie material. Um, maybe we should talk to the other two original surviving members and see what they think about us using the name. So it took us about seven or eight years to agree amongst ourselves to use the name zombies. But in a way, it, it seems the honest thing to do because we're playing a lot of zombie material. So... We will start writing and recording new material literally about now, really. Rod has just uh, built a new studio in his house, which we will, uh, in an outbuilding outside his house. So we will be trying that out. I'm, I'm not sure whether we will record a whole album there, but we might be able to get the, get the album started. So I would think in the next few months, um, we're all trying to write, and I think in the next few months, we will probably start a new Zombies album. But I've always kept my solo album, my solo career going as well. 
And so I am actually recording a solo album right now. I'm uh, about a third of the way through it. Um, I just, I've, you know, I've always recorded as a solo artist and, I, you know, I'm totally committed to the Zombies project, but I didn't want to give up on my solo career uh, at the same time. You know, I just wanted, it is possible to keep the two things going. It gets a little bit complicated at times, but um, it just requires um, long-term planning, I think. Uh, I know that my next solo tour will be in the UK next year in April. I know that. I've known that for months. And I just, ha- that's what I have to do. I have to plan a long way ahead. So, so then talk to me about the importance of band over brand or brand over band. Because, like you said, the zombie's name, even if you weren't, using it to, to promote yourself and you weren't people are like that's the zombies and of course now when you book a show and you put that up on the marquee it's an instant draw whereas if we had blundstone and argent people would have to be maybe explained oh those are the guys from the zombies so so talk to me about the importance of brand well i mean it's absolutely true what you've just said especially in north america might not be so true in the uk over here because both rod and i have had solo careers and other careers. Um, but in North America, it's absolutely true. But we still made many tours to the States not using the name The Zombies. For us, it wasn't... It, it, the point of us playing together was not to reform The Zombies or even to play old material. We got together to write and record new material. But audiences ask for the classic zombie tracks promoters ask for the classic zombie tracks and promoters as i've said before would bill us as the zombies anyway whether we said we were the zombies or not so in a way we we i felt as if we were fighting against the tide a bit by holding on to our um individual names for seven or eight years and in the end it i couldn't really see the point Everyone was thinking of us as the zombies. Often they were billing us as the zombies. So it, I just wanted to check it out with Chris White and Hugh Grundy, who were the other original members, and uh, just make sure it was okay with them. But they were fine. You know, they were absolutely fine. And so I think in the end we just bowed to the inevitable. And I, I admit that, especially in North America, um, it, promoters would probably be more ready to book us as the zombies, then as Colin Blonson and Rod Argent. That is true. But that's not why we use the name now. It just, everybody else was using it except us. So um, it just seemed a bit of a lost battle. It really did. So uh, talk to me about your relationship with Rod Argent, because, you know, in the music business and in this industry, relationships are very mercurial. They come and go, and people... but you've been around with him since the, the 60s, uh, certainly as a friend and, a, and as a colleague. And then, of course, he ran off and did Argent, which uh, gave us, us Kiss fans, the song God Gave Rock and Roll, eventually, that, yeah. that Kiss covered. Uh, but talk to me about having him there for all those years, because it really is a unique relationship. And, and the writing that has come out from, from the both of you has also been exceptionally strong. Well, it, it is an unusual situation. Um, I mean... I've always worked with Rod uh, from we we first got to be together as a band in actually in 1961, and of course there have been gaps where I haven't seen so much of him. Uh, but 
uh, over the years, we just keep coming back to projects that we can work on together. And maybe some of it can be explained by the fact that we we both went through our formative years together. When we met, we were 15. And so um, our musical tastes are very similar. Um, we we learned how to record together. We learned the ins and outs of touring and, and the record industry together. And Rod will often say in an interview that he learned to write songs for my voice. And I certainly learned to sing professionally to his songs. And we spent a lot of time working on the songs, um, particularly the, the phrasing of the songs. It, I don't just, Rod doesn't play me a song and I just sing it as best I can remember it. We spend a lot of time working together on the phrasing. And, uh, it, you know, we've built up over the years, we've built up a good team and we work well together. Um, hopefully I, I bring some strengths to the table and he certainly does. I mean, Rod's a magnificent uh, musician and I always enjoy working with him and it always lifts me to work with him, be it touring or recording. It's, it's a great strength to know that he's there. Yeah, it really is. And, and, and Argent was such a great project. I mean, just, just some great albums there. Um, talk to me a little bit about going out solo uh, in the beginning and using the name Neil MacArthur. Why not go out as Colin? What was sort of the, the thinking behind that? Was it people would say, oh, that's the zombies guy, and then maybe not give it its due? Or was it, I just want to create an alter ego? What was the thinking? Well, of I don't using? think, when you say, tell me the thinking behind it, I don't think there was a lot of thinking behind right. it. Not from my point of view, anyway. When, um, when I left the zombies, or when the zombies finished, I didn't really leave. There was no band. Um, you know, we hadn't been managed very well. And the non-writers, so Paul Atkinson, Hugh Grundy, and myself, I wrote a couple of songs for the zombies, but that's all. Um, we were left in very sort of perilous financial situation and we all had to go out and work. And I went out, I just had to go and get a job. I was absolutely broke. And um, I was very sad that the, uh, I got very emotional about the band breaking up and I had no plans to get back into the music business. But when Time of the Season was a big hit single, about a year or 18 months after the band finished, producers started calling me. Um, to to record again and uh, one of them was a guy called Mike Hurst who'd produced Cat Stevens on his early single success in the UK I'm not sure if they were hits in uh, Northern Europe uh, Northern America but they were hits here um, Matthew and Son are going to get me a dog going to get me a gun um, uh, sorry I'm getting them all mixed up right. but they were classic singles produced by Mike Hurst and Mike started calling me and I knew those tracks, and I said, well, I'm not sure if I really want to get back in the business, but he he convinced me to go and uh, sing in the evenings in Olympic Studio, which is a beautiful studio. It's not there anymore now, but was a beautiful studio in Barnes in um, London, where the Stones used to record, actually. And so I would go there after my day job and just sing on some tracks. And he convinced me to re-record she's not there which is a slightly strange thing to do really and he also suggested i change my name now i i honestly can't tell you why but my my defense is that i was still testing the water really i wasn't sure that i wanted to get back into the music business after the trauma of the band breaking up but she's not there by 
Neil MacArthur, which is me, um, was released, and it was a small hit. I think it got to about 30 in the charts here. And then there wasn't any choice. I kind of had to get back into the music business. And when I you know, accepted that challenge, I was very glad that I, you know, I, I love writing and recording music. That's what I, I love doing. And I, I, I was glad, to, of course, I was glad to get back into the business. But after about a year of being Neil MacArthur, I was actually driving home with uh, Chris White, the original bass player in The Zombies. And he said to me, why don't you come and record with Rod and I? We've got a production deal with CBS Records. Uh, forget the Neil MacArthur thing. Use your real name, even though no one can pronounce it and no one can spell it. We're still going to use your real name. And, uh, and that's when I think my solo career really began. I recorded an album called One Year. And from that album, was a, we took a Denny Lane song to be a single. It was called Say You Don't Mind. And it was a huge hit in the UK. Again, sadly, it wasn't a hit. In, um, in North America, but it was a big hit here and in Europe. And I was off and running, you know, I, I was a solo artist. But the Neil MacArthur thing, it was just uh, just a, a whim, I think, really. And I don't think it was really thought through. Yeah, and it, it's just interesting that that you had to, you know, come up with a, with a sort of a alter ego to, to, I don't know, maybe feel comfortable re-recording. Um, you have, of course, spent some time or, or done some work with Alan Parsons. Uh, I, I interviewed Alan not too long ago, just a phenomenal artist. Uh, talk to me about working with him, because he, he, he truly is a musical genius and a musical visionary, at least from my perspective. Um, talk to me about your time with him. Well, um, I met Alan when we were recording Odyssey and Oracle with the Zombies in Abbey Road because at the time Alan was um, an engineer at Abbey Road and we also realized that we were you know we live fairly near to one another I wouldn't say we're exactly neighbors uh, but we live quite near to one another and we we kept bumping into one another in a Hampstead village uh, on a on a Saturday we were both drinking a pub called the flask and uh, I would have chats with him, and I knew that he'd got this idea of recording albums with the producer being the central figure, and he would bring in outside vocalists. Um, and later on, I met his silent partner, Eric Wolfson, who actually I had met in the 60s briefly, but they were very much a partnership, and Alan took care of all the studio side of things, but the majority of the songs were written by Eric, um, and they tr they did actually approach me to sing on the first album that they recorded. But bizarrely, by then I was living in California and I couldn't do it. So my first track for them was on the album Pyramid, and I sang a song called "The Eagle Will Rise Again." And after that, I they asked me. I'm very thrilled that they did ask me to sing on um, five or six albums after that and uh, they were wonderful people to work with in some ways they, they became almost a trio in that there was Alan Parsons in charge of the studio Eric the dominant writing force and then uh, they introduced Andrew Powell as a wonderful arranger really really special arranger and um, they were a very impressive trio I can tell you they were all very tall as well I'm six foot, but whenever I stood with those three, I felt so uh, overpowered. 
because they were all sort of six foot three and six foot four. They were they're big guys. Yeah, that's great, funny. Great talents. Great talents. And and so before we leave here, uh, because I know we're running out of time, I, I need to to get your take on on of course this infamous, um, what what do you want to call it? A uh, not a heist, but back in back in the sixties, there were these fake zombies that were running around the uh, United yeah. States, the original zombies, one of them had uh, Dusty Hill and Frank Beard, of course, of ZZ Top or ZZ Top, if you're in Canada. Um, what was that like? And, and of course, y- you sort of have to be flattered in the sense that you needed a Dusty Hill and a Frank Beard and their great talents to, to replace. And, and But we, of course, couldn't have this happen in today's day and age because the internet would be like, hey, wait a minute. Um, yeah. But what was your reaction to that when you first heard of it, and when you look back at it now with some perspective, and what is it now, fifty years, and say, okay. Mm. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> first of all, you know, I I want musicians to be out of work. I, you know, I really do. And uh, so we 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 brought some work to to because there were two or three bands going out. Um, I otherwise I didn't really have strong feelings about it. It, to me, it seemed a shame that they won't seem to be able to go out there and find work, and we, and you know, and we couldn't. It did seem a bit of a shame, but it wasn't. I don't think it really upset me that much. Well, I don't think it upset me at all, to be honest. Um, later, there was another band in the sort of the late '80s, I think. An English band were pretending to be the Zombies, and uh, they were an English band, but they were touring in America and. I'm informed they weren't really very good. And uh, after one particular concert, well, first of all, all of us tried to discourage them. At that point, it seemed a bit silly, you know, in the 80s and 90s to to be touring as the zombies. Um, We did try and discourage them, talking through the Musicians Union and other ways we had of approaching them. And I thought that what we'd done had stopped them uh, touring as the zombies. But I heard... A very interesting story that this band, who, as I said, weren't terribly good, had played to a fairly empty club and got back to their dressing room. And one particular member of the audience, who was a Zombies fan, was not impressed with them at all and followed them into the dressing room and drew a gun on them and just told them, you're not the Zombies. I I don't know exactly what else he said. And I hasten to write, he didn't shoot anybody, but they didn't tour anymore. That that was it. That was the end for them. And I don't blame them either. Um, so I guess that's one way to stop a band impersonating you, but I'm not sure I'd recommend it to anyone. I mean, that's, it is taking things to the extreme. But but it it does, of course, speak to what we were talking about before over brand, over band, because they were able to book runs and they were able to... It just shows that that brand, and and for new bands coming up, you got to sort of think of that. It's it's not always about the guys. It's about getting a name and working that name reputably. Absolutely, and I don't think there's any substitute. Certainly, for not a band of our ilk of our history, there's no substitute for getting out there and touring consistently, and to try and set a high standard of performance as well, because. Word of mouth is so important, somehow especially for a band with a history like ours, you know. It's very important that people realize that there's a huge energy and commitment in this band. 
and that we are writing and recording new material. We're not just going out there and doing tame renditions of old classics. We're not doing that at all. Um, but I know what you mean about the, the brand situation, but that, I mean, that is part of what makes up a band. But there are, there are many things, you know, I mean, if you can get a major label interested, of course, it's great. Heavy, heavy management helps, uh, image, there's all sorts of bizarre things that go towards um, the success of a band, especially when it's starting out. I mean, for us now, the main thing for us is to tour and to keep uh, a good standard when, when, on every performance. Remind yourself that some people in that audience will only see you once, and that's tonight. So you want every show to be great. So for us, that's the, that's the main sort of weapon in our armory is to be a touring band and to be a good touring band or as good as we possibly can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll finish on this one here. Uh, April 1968, Odyssey and Oracle come out. We are at the 50th anniversary, a little bit past the 50th anniversary. Just amazing when you think back, right? 50 years since you made one of these albums that Rolling Stone has called one of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Um, special, right? Looking back 50 years? It is special. I mean, it, I, I have mixed feelings about it, really. I remember it as a wonderful time. It, it, it was recorded in the summer. I think it was recorded in the summer of 67, actually. It was a, a lovely summer. We were recording in Abbey Road, which is a, a, a magical studio to record in. And of course, it was terribly disappointing when it first came out over in the UK and it, and it wasn't a commercial success. And it's so frustrating that I realize now a lot of people regard it as an iconic album, a very important piece of work. Um, it's frustrating, but at the same time, it's great that it is getting its acknowledgement, even though it's taken 50 years for it to happen. And I sometimes think, you know, please don't start discovering the albums that we're doing now in 50 years time, because... I'm not going to be here to promote them. So I'm hoping that we can get a reaction from our, our current material a little bit faster than we did for Odyssey and Oracle. I think that would be uh, important. We, we don't want to have uh, still got that hunger being celebrated in 2065, though, of course, it would be nice if it's still if the legacy maintained. But yeah, uh, now is better. Uh, Colin, absolute pleasure. I know you have to go. Uh, thank you for this afternoon. Hopefully we will see you in uh, Montreal or in, in Canada at some point. But that Uriah Heap tour coming up, wow, that, that is going to be Absolutely. spectacular. That's the, the, whole, the whole fall for us will be with Uriah Heap um, going through Germany, Holland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Finland. And we'll just be home for Christmas. Oh. Sounds exciting. Go. It sounds great, actually. And I just saw Uriah Heap about two months ago, and they were spectacular. So it's, it's just going to be a great combination. Thank you, sir. Have a, have a great day. Okay, thank you so much. All the very best. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.